Hey everyone, Dawn Sarah here. It's Sex Gets Real. And this episode is going to come to you a day late. Normally new episodes come out on Sundays and this one's coming out on Monday because I spent the entire weekend moving into my new apartment in Salt Lake City, Utah, where I will be spending the next 10 to 12 months. And can I just tell you how completely exhausted I am? <laughs> Moving is no joke. Oh my God. We moved all the furniture and we are still in boxes everywhere, but I have officially settled into my new desk in my new office. Yeah. So this is going to be just like a fun episode of me answering some of your questions and sharing some feedback and some thoughts. I also experienced this past week just being so stressed from driving cross country for five days with two unhappy cats. And then we were here in Salt Lake City for a week, having no idea where we were going to live. And so that was really stressful. And it took such, such a toll on my libido. I mean, I just can't even tell you like... I had to be patient with myself because there were so many moments when I felt guilty or worried that I wasn't initiating sex and knowing that I would enjoy it if I did, but just being so exhausted. And, and so I had to give myself permission to just get through these couple of weeks and then see what happened once we settled in. Yeah. Once we got into the apartment and, everything inside, not unpacked, but inside, uh, it started to feel a lot better and easier. And I just want to say for all of you out there who have enormous amounts of stress on your plate, like there's a big percentage of us that for stress, <clears throat> it just kills your libido. And then there's a smaller percentage of people who stress like completely ups the libido. It's like the stress response. And so there, of course, there's variation, as in all things related to sex. But for those of you whose libido completely goes out the window when you're massively stressed, I am right there with you. Despite having a suitcase that weighed like 50 pounds full of hot sex toys and thousands and thousands of options of lube and condoms, that just wasn't going to happen. You know, like all I wanted was like a back rub and some cuddles and sleep. <laughs> so uh, we're finally getting back to normal. I also just want to share that there was a big going away party for me um, with all my friends before I left the D.C. area. And Dylan was there and she wanted me to tell all of you hello. She is endlessly happy and embarking on all kinds of wonderful adventures professionally and personally. And she is so happy I'm doing so well, and we're hoping to do a long-distance episode with her sometime in the next month or so, so definitely stay tuned, but she wanted me to, to pass along her love, and um, I'm just going to dive in. So last week, as you know, I was on the road, and it was post-U.S. presidential election, <clears throat> and so I did a short little episode that was all about 
the election results and feelings. And I got a couple of different comments and emails about it. And so I want to share those. And then I'm going to jump into some questions about sex. So the first thing was, I got a comment on Instagram that said, as a person of color, I just want to thank you for your kind words on your November 13th podcast episode. I'm a fairly new listener and was instantly addicted to sex gets real. And I'm aspiring to work as a sex educator. Since the election, I have been feeling so totally overwhelmed by my emotions, and I'm having trouble navigating where to go from here. I was hoping for an uplifting podcast to distract myself with new information to process today and instead listened, thankfully, to your words and let out a good cry. Your words were exactly what I needed to hear. You're an inspiration, and I beg all my friends to listen to your podcast all the time. Take care and many thanks for the solidarity. So I just want to say thank you so much for that really sweet comment and message. And thank you for sharing the podcast with your friends. If you like sharing the podcast with your friends and coworkers, if you have that kind of workplace, (laughs) then make sure everybody goes and subscribes on iTunes, even if they don't listen that way. Um, Because I I'm finally working with an advertising agency to get some sponsors for the podcast. Um, Up until now, everything that I've done for the podcast has been out of love and out of pocket. And it's cost me many, 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 many thousands of dollars. And it's hard. So getting some sponsors for the show is going to mean that I can hopefully continue doing this. And, um, yeah, we've got a couple of really exciting prospects. So sponsors look at things like iTunes subscriptions and downloads and reviews. And so if you want to help me to help this show finally bring some money in so so that I'm (laughs) not just having soup for dinner uh, every night, then um, please do share the show with everybody. And thank you so much for that really heartfelt note. I didn't share this person's name because I didn't ask permission. Um, It was just a comment on social media. But I also got another comment from someone that the subject line is white male. And it's in response to the recent episode. And it said, we live in a more diverse world, be it color, race, religion, sexuality. And it's great that we should all love and respect each other's differences. That being said, we all walk our own path, each with its challenges. Being a white male has not shielded me from domestic abuse or provided socioeconomic grandeur. Ultra-privileged white male is a hurtful label and no one wants to be labeled. Just saying, love your podcast and we'll continue listening. XOXO. So I just want to thank TW who wrote this for writing in and sharing. Uh, I know that a lot of people share your views and you're so right that being white or being a cis male does not shield you from, from abuse or rape or poverty or classism or ableism or any of those things. You know, we, one of the things that's so important about intersectionality and intersectional feminism is realizing that there are multiple systems of oppression that are all linked together. So you might be white and cis, but if you have a severe disability, then 
um, or any kind of disability, then you're probably going to suffer from ableist, oppressive systems and beliefs that our world has. If you are white and cis woman, but you're fat like I am, then you're going to move through a world that literally exists. It, everything is built on top of fat phobia and diet culture because that's a form of control. And, you know, I think that a lot of people here privileged and feel a lot of strong feelings. And so I just want to make it really clear that like being privileged, we're all privileged in various ways. Um, you know, people of color can have privilege over other types of people, just depending on how their different intersections, you know, like a person of color who is heterosexual is going to have more privilege than a person of color who is queer or trans. So it's multiple intersections of oppression and and privilege doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Privilege doesn't mean that you asked for privilege or that you feel like you're better than anyone else. That's not at all what privilege is. Um, and I think that it makes people uncomfortable because they can feel really judged um, when they hear that they're part of a privileged group. And, you know, that's just part of stuff that all of us have to work through. But, you know, recognizing privilege is important because it's recognizing that it's not about an individual person. So you can be in the most privileged class. You can be a white cis male who is in like an upper class socioeconomic situation. I mean, like literally the, the epitome of privilege and you can still suffer violence. You can still suffer domestic abuse. You can still have horrible things happen to you, your health. You can, you know, it doesn't mean that bad things don't happen. It just means that at a large scale, when we look at white, when we look at cis, when we look at male, those things as a group afford more opportunity or more protection or less violence and less oppression than if we looked at a different intersection of perhaps um, white and trans or white and cis and female and then fat or thin or disabled or able-bodied or whatever it is, age, you know, I mean, you can be in your 80s and, and suffer oppression because of ageism. But, you know, the thing is, when it comes to being like a white cis male, you can be the poorest of the poor, you can suffer from classism, you can suffer from all these things. But at a statistical standpoint, you have a smaller chance of being arrested, incarcerated, or killed um, than someone who is in the exact same situation, but happens to be a person of color. So privilege comes in lots of different forms. And there's so many different ways this plays out. And, you know, I think one of the the hard things is it's not about like who's more oppressed. It's not about who has more privilege, but it's about recognizing like what groups are we each a part of? What are our various intersections of privilege and oppression? And then how can we use those things to one, overturn oppression and two, to support each other across all the different intersections. So I so appreciate you writing in TW and you're right, like ultra privileged white male, that label can hurt. And I think that there's so many misunderstandings around the word privilege. I've even seen a lot of like social justice activists trying to move away from the word privilege because it gets just such a knee jerk reaction. 
But we have to remember that when we're talking about privilege, we're not talking about the individual, we're talking about the group or the bucket that you happen to be a part of. And of course, inside of each bucket, there's other types of hierarchies and other types of oppressions. So um, I know that you said you being a white male hasn't shielded you from domestic abuse or provided, you know, socioeconomic um, ease. And so first, I just want to say, I'm so sorry that you've suffered abuse. You know, that's something that almost none of us are actually immune to regardless of privilege, but certainly certain types of groups are going to be more likely to experience abuse because that's how the system is set up. But I'm sorry that you personally have suffered that. And I so appreciate you writing in and sharing your thoughts and giving me an opportunity to share your thoughts and to share my response. I'm going to link for this podcast episode to an article by Everyday Feminism called What Privilege Really Means. And it talks all about all the things I just mentioned about how privilege doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean you have more than somebody else necessarily on an individual level. All the different ways that that privilege often um, gets misrepresented. Uh, And so I just want to make it clear that when I use privilege, this is the way that I'm using it. Um, It's certainly not to attack, but it is to call out and to recognize, like for me as a white cis woman, I have so much more access to safety and police support that a woman of color who's my same age and shape and everything would have. And I recognize that. And so like, what can I do to dismantle that so that we all have access? It's a really important conversation and I am not the most skilled at it. So I hope everyone will check out some of those podcasts that I uh, listed last week because man, they were having some amazing, amazing conversations around like race and intersections and oppression. And yeah, it's awesome. Okay. So I got this fun email from someone named Supermoto. I think it's Moto. Um, And the subject is mechanics, nuts and bolts being wrapped in lace. And the message is, hey, Dawn, like everyone else, I love your show. My work environment allows me to binge listen to all of the previous podcasts, and I love it. It's opened my eyes and helped me understand so much about the way that I view sex and intimacy. I have a couple of questions, and I'm not sure how related they are if they've already been covered or not. The first is this. I am a mid-20s man, and by everyone else... I'm viewed as being very masculine because of my love of motorsports and just generally manly things. I'm very straight and monogamous, but I have such a deep interest in feminine things like wearing panties or being pegged or having a dom. And I feel very self-conscious about it sometimes because that passion seems to fly in the face of who I am or who other people see me as. And I'm trying to understand it. Can you help? A man wearing panties seems to be a bit of a contradiction to the rest of the world. I'm also very curious as to how to bring this up to my girlfriend in a way that may help her understand it and help hopefully help her be a part of it. How can I help bring out her dominant side and then trust her with these things? I'm looking forward to any advice you can give so that I can move forward and upward to many wonderful experiences. Oh my God, I love this so much. Yeah, so we were just talking about privilege. And, you know, another system of oppression that we have is gender. 
experiencing life as a masculine man versus as a feminine woman, which are kind of the extremes on this gender binary we have. There is a huge fear in our hyper-masculine, toxic masculinity culture of masculine men being perceived as sissy or as women. And all of the insults that get thrown around of don't be a pussy and and things like that just reinforce this fear of the feminine. And it can be so shitty, right? Because like, why can't, I mean, and we see this in like cute little meme videos all over the internet, right? So like, why can't a little boy want Barbies and to be a princess for Halloween? And why can't girls want like big trucks and tools? And I think we're starting as a culture to shift that a little bit. Like we're starting to see that it's okay if a little, you know, a little boy, whatever we want to call gender anyway, but if a little boy wants to wear pink and fairy wings for Halloween, like we're starting as a culture to kind of shift that dialogue a little bit, but it hasn't shifted as much around like straight masculine men wanting to also experience these, these softer feminine things like lace or panties. Um, I do think that there's been a big shift around pegging. Um, I think there's still the potential for a lot of power to be there. And I think everybody is starting to understand that like butt stuff is fun and can feel really good. Um, so yeah, I love this. I think the first thing when, with any of these things is being able to just really acknowledge it for yourself, which supermoto, it sounds like you're doing. I mean, you're, you've admitted to yourself that you have this deep interest in feminine things. And I also think it's interesting that you group feminine things with being pegged or having a dom. And I actually see those as three very separate things. So I think there's one thing in kind of embracing your feminine desires around pretty things and lace and panties. And that might just be you wanting to express a different side of yourself. You know, I mean, we all have these really rich pluralistic selves where with certain types of people, we're really relaxed and with other types of people, we're like super uptight. And then in certain situations, we're very critical and analytical and other situations we could give a shit, you know? And so we have these pluralistic experiences and it sounds like supermoto, you move through the world in this very like traditionally masculine way with your love of motorsports and manly things. And um, even your subject line was mechanics, nuts and bolts. And so maybe there's this side of you that's just feeling really ignored. Like you haven't ever given yourself permission to be soft, which is usually uh, what gets kind of associated with feminine. And so maybe this is, this is the part of you that wants to be, soft and be gentle and be delicate. And that's coming out in your desire for things like panties and lace. And, you know, I think that that's a fantastic thing to give yourself permission to explore. Why not? I just, I'm just sitting here thinking like a hot masculine body with like lace rock on. I mean, that's totally cool. Go for it you know, or like pasties, whatever, have fun with it. And there are lots of people who are going to get kind of squicked out about that. But that's their problem, not yours. 
you make sense to you. Like you get to have all these different sides and wearing lace panties or, you know, wanting to have like a satin nighty on doesn't undo or like negate all the other parts of you that are really masculine. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who feel that way, but that's because that's how we're all socialized. That's not actually the truth. Being pegged to me does not have to have any type of femininity um, associated with it. So you can be like channeling all of that like aggressive, assertive, like rari, I'm making like claws with my hands right now, kind of like masculine energy and get pegged. I can be this like strong, super masculine act where you and your girlfriend aren't doing any kind of gender bending. She can be soft and feminine and, you know, herself and still strap it on and fuck you. Like, so that doesn't have to be something that changes. But if you want to experience pegging, as a feminine act, I know that there's a huge segment of the population who likes sissification, kind of this like forced feminization. Um, and part of that can be pegging. Some folks who like to take on that kind of like sissy sub role even will sometimes call their ass their pussy because they really want to like go into that feminine. So you have to decide for yourself like, is being pegged an expression of that feminine desire you have, or is being pegged more just about like, I think this would feel really good? Or does it tie to your dom needs of wanting to be dominated? If you are uh, wanting to be dominated, is super common for people who make a lot of decisions all of the time, who have a lot of power at work or in the home, you know, they're constantly in charge of themselves or their family or their household. You know, I know that I was head of household for so many years and that just gets exhausting at a point. You're tired of making decisions for everybody else. You're tired of being in charge. You're tired of being the boss. You're tired of being the parent. And so for a lot of people, that comes out in wanting to be dominated. You want your choices taken away. You want someone else making those choices. You want someone else taking your power because it, it feels like the only way to kind of move out of that headspace. So for you, you just have to decide like, what is it about being dominated that's appealing to you? Is it because you see that as a feminine act, submissive as feminine? Or is it because you really are just looking for ways to give up control and it's less about femininity and more about kind of that headspace of wanting to let go and not be kind of the person who has it all together? Because once you start to understand those motivations, it makes it a lot easier to then communicate that to others. Because if you just say like, I have a deep interest in feminine things like wearing panties or being pegged or having a dom. You know, there's so many different expressions of each of those things that can be really difficult for a partner to receive because it's not really clear. Like, what are you asking from her? What kind of support do you want from her? Does she even need to be a part of that? Those are all things that you need to decide. So I think that it's really, really important that you acknowledge how self-conscious you feel about it. You know, the stories that were told about gender roles are really, really deep. 
I mean, the second we come out of the womb, the doctors declare our gender based on the genitals that they see. And the story starts from that point, even before we're born. Parents, when they find out the gender of their children, often have fully colored the room and picked out all the clothes. Before we're born, we're already told what our gender roles are starting to be shaped as and look like. And so those stories run really deep. So I think it's okay to feel self-conscious about it. Give yourself permission to explore it a little bit more on your own. You know, look at images, find Tumblr feeds that like appeal to the aesthetic of what you're looking for. Look for images that feel really sexy in what feminine, you know, in a masculine body looks like. Or look for images or videos of pegging that really fit your fantasy. Um, And the same for domination. You know, are you looking for someone that's going to like beat the shit out of you and kick your balls? Or are you looking for someone who's going to like sissify you, you know, in quotes, sissify you or humiliate you? There's such a, a wide range of ways to be dominated. And you need to get clear on that um, before you bring in your girlfriend. Because the clearer you are, the safer it can feel for her to be open and say yes. So one, explore it more with yourself. Think about kind of your motivations. Is this something you've always experienced or is this something that's come on as you've gotten older and you've really taken on this more masculine side of yourself? Um, Play with it a little bit. You know, and then look for images, look for videos that that are what you want and aren't what you want. It can be super helpful to figure out what you don't want. You can look at a thousand images of dudes in lace and 900 of them might not at all be what what interests you. And then there might be, you know, a hundred that are like, yeah, that's that's exactly what I want to look like. That's what I'm feeling. You know, read some erotica around um, gender bending and around pegging. And get a feel for the different ways that people express these things. And that will not only give you an opportunity to examine what you do and you don't want and your motivations, but it'll also give you language so that you can talk about it with less shame and more clarity. If you go to your girlfriend with any sense of like shame or embarrassment, she's going to feel that and that's going to feel uncomfortable. Whereas if you're really clear on what you want, you've got the language for it, you're starting to feel more comfortable with it yourself, that confidence and that understanding and that clarity is going to make it so much easier for her to get really clear on like, this is what's being asked of me. And this is why it's important to you so that she can then decide if that's a way that she can support you. She may not have a dominant side. So that's something else you just have to keep in mind. But you know, the way I think to start this conversation isn't with, here's what I'm into. Can we do this? That's a high risk conversation that is putting her on the spot. That is making her feel like if she says no, she's going to reject you. If she says yes, she could fuck it up. She doesn't know what it means. Like that's when you go all in on a high risk conversation like that, that's when it can be so easy to get hurt. So instead, start a couple of steps before that, you know, ask her what some of her fantasies are and maybe read some erotica together that have little hints of some of what you're interested in. You know, find a pegging erotica that is 
you know, pretty kind of run of the mill, middle of the road, and then have a conversation about it or watch Deadpool and ask her what she thought about that little, you know, it's only five seconds, but you know, that pegging scene with Ryan Reynolds. I mean, that is such a huge cultural reference at this point. You could easily have a really safe, non-threatening conversation around pegging if you bring up Deadpool. So find these ways to, to just have some general conversations Watch a movie where one of the main actresses is in a super dominant role. Like, I think it might have been Mr. and Mrs. Smith, where Angelina Jolie is being a pro-dom at the very beginning of the movie. You know, so like, watch movies like that and then ask your girlfriend what she thought about it and let her know, like, wow, that was kind of hot. Do you think that's something you'd ever be interested in? Because I really like that power that's going on that sounds fun and easy and light. And like, you're not putting your heart and soul on the line. You're just having this fun, playful conversation. And that invites so much more permission for your girlfriend to consider something that she's never considered before. Once you have those conversations, it gets easier to start making it more personal. And just remember like having images, having videos, having erotica that help you to demonstrate to her what you're looking for. It also gives her an opportunity to hear the dialogue that's being said in the video and to see the way that the person's standing or being dressed um, so that she can feel like she has some anchor point for being successful. Because we all want to be good in bed. We all want to be you know, great lovers. We all want to think of ourselves as being sexually adventurous. And usually what shuts us down is either shame or feeling like we're going to be bad at something. So I really love that you shared this with me. Thank you so much. If any other listeners have a situation that's similar to Supermoto, where you move through the world in a really masculine kind of way, but you have these urges or you have these kinks around like feminization and wearing panties and lace and you want to share any stories, feel free to write in. You can go to sexgetsreal.com and submit that. And I'd be happy to share that on air down the road for Supermoto. Um, But I hope that was helpful to you. Thank you so much for listening. And I wish you the best of luck. I love that you're exploring this for yourself. Oh my God. I love this so much. I love this so much. Okay. So JJ, he just wrote in gay guy, first time straight sex help. Is that not the best subject line ever? Oh my God. I love my job. Okay. So here's the message from JJ. Okay. Let me start out by saying I've identified as bi since I was about 17. I am now 34. Though I've had and enjoyed relationships and sexual encounters with women when I was younger in my teens and 20s, I've never had actual intercourse with a woman. For a period of several years, I identified as gay and didn't pursue female encounters at all. I've had sex of all sorts with several men. I should also mention that I've never been out either. I've always been comfortable with my sexuality, but also slightly ashamed because of my background in the church and military service. In recent years, I've become open again to the idea of a sexual relationship with a woman, although I've found it an awkward thing to approach. How do you explain being a 34-year-old vag virgin or that you also like to eat dick? Recently, a woman I work with started showing interest in me. Though she was not my type and I wasn't looking, I jokingly flirted with her at work. 
Over the last week, she started flirting with me over text messages, and we've been exchanging some pretty naughty texts and pics. It turns out she's into some of the same kinks as I am. I find myself now very attracted to her sexually, even though she's not what I thought my female type was, not even close. Anyway, we've decided to hook up this coming weekend, because I'm locked in chastity until then. I've worried that through all our lewd and naughty texting, we've built up the encounter in our minds. I'm worried I won't be able to perform, and I already don't know what I'm doing when it comes to the vajay. I should mention that she does not and cannot know about my gayness, at least for now. We work together, and that would ruin my career. She also doesn't know about me having my vagine V-card. I'm attracted to her, I like her, I want this to work, and maybe even become a regular thing. How do I make sure I'm not so terrible that she can tell she's the first? Also, it would be really awesome if she actually enjoyed it. JJ. Oh, first of all, I'm so excited for you, JJ. Like, yay for new experiences and being open to new encounters and flirting with someone who wasn't even on your radar at first. Like, what a fun, exciting time for you. The other thing I'll say is... It really sucks that you're in a situation where you can't be out and where being out could ruin your career. I think that makes this so much harder because normally my advice would be uh, you should probably have this conversation with her. Uh, I think that, you know, our partners deserve to know kind of our status, our motivations, our fears. And if we can't talk about it, we probably shouldn't be doing it. But being in a closeted situation makes that super duper tough. And so I love that you want her to enjoy this. And, you know, the whole truth of the matter is it's going to largely depend on her ability to communicate with you. If she really knows what she wants, if she can really communicate what she likes when you're doing it, then you don't have to be a master at playing with vulvas and vaginas and clits. All you have to be able to do is ask good questions and then follow her lead. You could ask her to touch herself for you so that you could see what kind of things she likes doing to herself. You could ask her what her, what she's been fantasizing about and how she wants to be touched and then do your best to, to start doing those things and check in as you go. You know, I mean, I think one of the most powerful things is that really skilled lovers are actually really skilled at asking questions, reading body language, and checking in. But they do it in a way where it doesn't seem like they're checking in. It seems like it's part of this really sexy conversation. Like those are the people who are amazing at sex. It's not people who just go in and assume their one technique is going to work for everyone. And so that works in your favor, JJ, because you know, a truly skilled sexual partner is going to recognize that no two vulvas are alike. No two clits are alike. There might be a lot of similarities, but there's all these outliers. There's all these people with different experiences and traumas who are going to really hate the, the things that a lot of other vulva owners love. And so being able to ask you know, would you like more pressure or less? Would you like me to suck or would you like me to lick? You know, tell me what you've imagined me doing with my hands. Tell me what you've imagined me saying, you know, and, and actually being able to have this ongoing, sexy, sexual, yummy, delicious dialogue that's really giving you precise instructions 
on what she's been fantasizing about and what she loves is going to make you seem like a rock star who's done this a thousand times. I think it would also be really helpful if you just want to see some techniques to either check out kinkacademy.com, which has, you know, really explicit how-to videos for all types of sex and kink that um, Princess Callie runs, or to go to like Crash Pad and watch some of the pink and white production Crash Pad porn. You know, those are feminist porn with all kinds of different bodies and it's queer sex, but like you really get to see like solid hand techniques, mouth techniques, um, toy techniques and the way they communicate around it. And so that can give you a lot of inspiration, but I'll tell you, I think timidness and assuming without asking are two of the biggest mistakes that you can make when it comes to touching anybody's genitals. You know, I mean, whether it's a penis, a clit, a vulva, balls, whatever it is, you know, we all experience our bodies totally differently. So some people like pressure on the upstroke and some people like pressure on the downstroke, regardless of the genitals. And some people want it super, super wet. And some people want, you know, a lot of pressure. Some people like tongues, some people like sucking. And so treat this like you would any other sexual encounter. If you've had a lot of experience with men then, you know, think about what made those experiences really good. How were you communicating? What told you they liked something or told you they didn't? How did you share with them that you liked something or you didn't? I can tell you that some of the most disappointing sex I've ever had was when I didn't speak up about what I liked. And when I had a partner who just assumed that his I mean, I know you've heard me tell stories about like, can you take the pleasure? But like that dude, you know, that I had sex with that horrible, horrible time, he just assumed that like sticking his enormous cock in me was all that it was going to take for me to experience mind-blowing pleasure. And he was not interested in my experience. He was not open to feedback. And like, that was the worst sex I've ever had. Whereas having a partner who goes really, really slow and asks me if I like what he's doing and what I want more of and who really takes the time to tease it out and, you know, fill me with anticipation. I mean, like those are experiences that you think about for years to come. And it's because the two of us were so plugged into each other. And, you know, I know that sometimes (laughs) when Alex is exploring me, it's, just this, he's literally exploring me. Like it's, the goal isn't to get me off. The goal is to find out how am I reacting today to these different touches and what feels good and where am I moaning the loudest? And then really fucking hot things happen. So JJ, I just want to tell you your subject line made my day the day I got your email. And I also really want to hear back. It's been a week since you wrote And, um, so I'm actually getting to this one a lot faster than some of the other emails that have been waiting for months. But, uh, I hope that you had fun with her. I hope that it wasn't a total disaster, super awkward. And if it was, I hope the two of you were able to laugh about it and that if it feels right that you give it another shot, but please write back with an update because this email made me so happy. Um, So yeah, I will hopefully hear back from you and any listeners, if you have any other thoughts, 
be sure to comment on Facebook for this episode, uh, share your experiences or thoughts. I think that would be super fun. I got this email from Embarrassed, and the subject line is Look of My Vagina. So here's the email, and then we're going to talk about vulvas for a minute. So it says, How big of a deal is the appearance of your vagina to a man? I have larger lips, and I'm extremely self-conscious about it. I'm always afraid guys will think I'm gross. Sometimes I wonder if this isn't part of the reason I can't orgasm. I'm never able to fully give in to sex because I'm so afraid of how he's viewing me. I've even thought about having surgery to reduce them, but it sounds really painful. Any opinions would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. Love y'all. Oh, this breaks my heart. Here's what I want to just say. Genitals of all shapes, sizes, and configurations, so whether it's, you know, a penis or a vulva or a mix of both or whatever your particular genitals are like, are normal. And the small-lipped vulva has kind of dominated porn for so many decades that we've started to think that that's just how vulvas look. But that's actually a really small percentage of how vulvas look. I want to just recommend first to you, Embarrassed, that there is a book called Femalia, and it's by Joni Blank, who was the founder of Good Vibrations. And it's a picture book of vulvas and lips, and it's beautiful, It's just, it's this huge, I mean, it's a tiny book, but it's this huge variety of all the different ways that vulvas can present themselves with asymmetrical lips and inner lips that come out inches past the outer lips and outer lips that fully swallow everything inside so you can't see anything at all but a little slit and vulvas that open so that you can see into the vaginal canal and you can see the clit and others that are closed but the clit peeks out. I mean, endless variation. And for people who watch queer porn or feminist porn, and even in some mainstream porn, I've started to see a little bit more variation in the presentation of like vulva variety. You can find that there are tons of people out in the world who have like beautiful, I mean, Dylan used to talk about it all the time. Her wife's like meaty meat curtain vulva lips. It's beautiful. It's normal. I mean, a partner who really understands vulvas is going to see your larger lips as something tasty, as something to suck on, as something to enjoy, as something that they want in their mouth, as something that they just can't get enough of. And while I I totally understand you feeling so self-conscious, I mean, I feel super self-conscious about other parts of my body, you know, you realizing that your vulva lips are gorgeous and beautiful exactly as they are and that they have so much pleasure potential is what counts. So if you go in knowing that your vulva, your lips are badass because they are big and gorgeous and they taste good, 
the partner that you're with is just going to follow your cue. If you go in feeling ashamed and hiding, then the partner that you're with is going to feel like there must be something wrong and they're going to be hyper aware of that instead of being in the moment too. I really want you to check out Fumalia. Um, Oh, you can get the cunt coloring book. That thing is so fun. There's another one called Petals, uh, and it's all about vulvas. Nick Karras, that's K-A-R-R-A-S, has this book that's black and white photographs of vulvas. And it's there's 48 of them in this book. It's a little bit expensive, but you know, you might be able to get a used copy of it. Um So yeah, get yourself some books or find some pictures online. There's all kinds of art installations that have been going around that are um, vulva molds. And so you can see this enormous array of vulva shapes and lip shapes and lip sizes. Um, Check out some queer porn where you can really see that there is... There are so many people out there who are like doing sex work, who are doing porn and have these like beautiful wrinkly flowing lips and inner lips that come way out of the outer lips and look like flowers. I mean, literally these flowing vulva lips were Georgia O'Keeffe's inspiration. And she's one of the most famous artists ever. And even though she was painting flowers in quotes, you know, what she was really doing was being inspired by the variety and the flowery petals of a vulva. I want you to do what you feel is best for yourself, embarrassed. And if you decide surgery is best for you, then you have every right to do that. But what I want to encourage you to do is surround yourself with images of vulva variety. I had to do that when I was trying to overcome my my hatred of my body. You know, our entire world is based on images of thin women. All the media images, all the magazines, every single person on television. And so I had to start looking for body diversity. And I had to start purposely bringing images into my world that showed all the different ways bodies can be beautiful. And it started shifting the way that I see my body. And so you need to do that, but with vulvas. Purposely go out and give yourself permission to look at all the different types of vulvas that are out there and steer clear of mainstream porn. Go to feminist porn. Go to queer porn like Crash Pad. Go to Bright Desire. Um, Look at these books. Find artist renditions of vulvas. Betty Dodson has tons of artwork that she's done over the years of vulvas and all the different ways that they present themselves. And so you can look up like Betty Dodson art and I'm sure you'll find all kinds of stuff, but just know like larger lips are beautiful and tasty and normal. And whether you have large vulva lips on the outside or large vulva lips on the inside or super petite ones, like none of it is more normal or more desirable than the other. And when you start to really realize like every single centimeter of your lips have the potential to give you pleasure, they engorge with blood. You have so much more surface area for touching and licking and sucking and tugging. I mean, just like imagine 
You have all of this amazing real estate down there that could be just so part of these sexy, yummy experiences. And if you come in to a naked situation with that confidence and with that understanding that like my vulva is amazing, there's so much down there that you can play with and touch and taste and tease, your partners are going to be excited about that for you. Because you're, you're coming into that situation knowing that this is true about your body. If anyone ever looks at your vulva and reacts badly, I want you to immediately stand up, put your clothes on, get out of there. That is a, a someone that is not at all sexually mature. That is someone who has absolutely no idea what true bodies look like. And that is someone who does not deserve access to your body. So I want you to get angry if someone ever says anything bad about the way that your vulva looks, if they ever recoil, if they ever do anything at all about hesitating because of how you look, that is not someone who deserves access to your body because your vulva lips, I guarantee you, are amazing. And so you just need to own that. I hope that was helpful. You didn't provide an email address, so unfortunately I can't get back to you to let you know that I've done this, but... If there's anybody listening who ever had any worries about vulva appearance or lip size and you were able to overcome that, please write in with your story, uh, sexgetsreal.com, use the contact form. I'd be happy to share that to help Embarrassed feel a little bit better about her body. So that's it for this week's episode. I have a billion boxes all around me that I still need to get unpacked and I have some great interviews lined up for the next couple of weeks. I also want to let you know that I'm going to be doing a couple of um, free talks and a couple of workshops online in December. So make sure you go to sexgetsreal.com and get on the newsletter for that. They are going to be available to the global audience. So if you're outside the US, you will have access to these as well. Um, But I'm going to be talking about the performance aspect of sex and love versus the experiential aspects of sex and love. I'm going to be doing my thriving relationships workshop online, which is based all around the Gottman method research and open universities research over in London lots of stuff coming up. And of course, more episodes with more fantastic interviews and tons more of your questions. So until next time, be sure to go to sexgetsreal.com. And this is Dawn Sarah from Salt Lake City. (laughs) I'm sure I will have stories about my adventures in Utah. So I will talk to you next week. Bye.